I want, I really want higher quality controls on affiliates. And the level two is a step in that right direction. I also really want something back for what I'm paying. Hello and welcome to another episode of Chasing Excellence. My name is Patrick Cummings. As always, I'm here with Ben Bergeron. Every week on the show, we dedicate some time to exploring how we can live a life of better health and increased fulfillment. We answer your questions about the five factors of health, dive deep on living a life of excellence, and explore the strategies and frameworks to help us chase what truly matters. Thank you so much for joining us this week. How are you, Ben? Doing good. Thanks, Patrick. Happy Happy New Year to everybody out there. This is the first uh, new episode of the New Year Force. So hope everybody had a great holiday season. Well, we've got this episode. We've got listener questions about hitting the gym five to six times a week when you've got a demanding job balancing uh, eating routine and recovery and convincing a loved one to go to therapy. Our workout this week will be a conversation about the current state of the CrossFit affiliate space and why it matters to people who perhaps will never open a gym. And our cool down will be a listener submission. We've got Nick talking to us about how he's trying to keep connection alive amongst his friends. So stay tuned for that. We're going to dive right into our warm-up, where we start each episode with your questions about the five factors of health, those few fundamental behaviors that most positively affect our performance, vitality, and longevity, those five factors, how we eat, how we move, how we think, how we connect, and how we recover. We've got three questions, one in the move category, one in the eat category, and one in the connect category. First one in the move category from Maria. She says, I'm an orthopedic surgery resident, and for the past few years, I've been training at a home gym to maintain a sustainable training routine. While I understand your recommendation is to train five to six times a week, currently I'm only able to manage two to three strength workouts per week due to the physically demanding nature of my work on the ward and in the operating room. What are your recommendations on a training schedule for individuals with demanding jobs like mine? There's a inverse relationship between, and people that have listened to this and understand this, there's an inverse relationship between volume and intensity. And the more that you do, the less hard you can go. So in this case where we can only train two to three days a week, that can, we can make that more beneficial if we make those days very impactful. It's kind of the same thing. If we're, hey, I really want to become a, a concert violinist but I only have the opportunity to train and practice on the violin two or three times a week. What's your suggestion on how I become a concert violinist? It is when you are practicing, you got to focus and you got to make that really, really impactful. So um, we're going to try to lift heavy because you have tons of time to recover. So we're going to lift heavier and we're going to lift with some bigger intensities and we might fry out our muscles a little bit more intentionally, knowing that we don't have to train tomorrow or potentially even the next day. There are plenty of strength programs that are focused on three days a week of training. This is not a, uh, a detriment if your goal is strength. That's not what we're chasing here. We're chasing vitality, um, longevity, energy, and the rest, your quote life force. But for somebody that's trying to um, bang out what they can out of a two to three week cycle, we're going to lift heavy um, and we're going to make those training sessions as impactful as possible. The next thing we want to do is during those days where you're a resident, and it can be challenging because you know, I have plenty of friends that have gone through that part of their lives. Um, we do want to try to create as much movement as we can. And I know you're probably moving a lot and probably getting very, very little sleep on top of that. But what I mean by movement is not just necessarily um, not sitting. I want you to move through full ranges of motion and get in your quote steps. So if you're getting your quote 10,000 steps, um, but we also want to make sure you're going through a full range of motion. And that's as simple as while you're going through your day residency, um, make sure you're you're squatting below parallel a few times a day. Make sure you're um, stretching out your your shoulders and your lats and make sure that maybe you do a five minute little, whatever you want to call it. I'm not gonna say yoga, but like your little um, range of motion routine, something that feels good for you. Yeah. You go down and you do some prying where you go down and you go to the bottom of squat and you use your elbows to drive your knees out. You put that into a Spider-Man. You go down, you try and touch your toes. You stand up, you reach for the sky, stretch out your shoulders. And we're just kind of making sure that we're keeping that range of motion. If you're able to do that with 10,000 steps plus, and you're getting three days of strength work 
I'm feeling pretty good about where you are in this demanding time of your life. Next question is from Ryan and it's in our eat category. He says, I follow an intuitive an intuitive eating approach for the timing and size of my meals, given my current work and family schedule, as well as my exercise routine, which is either BJJ or fitness from 6 to 8 p.m. My eating schedule is as follows. Upon waking, I have a protein shake and greens drink. I have a small protein heavy lunch. Around four to five, I have a pre-workout snack. During these times, my appetite is generally lower. After BJJ or fitness, typically around 8.30 when I'm starving, I consume half of my daily calories, bedtime at 10 p.m. This routine has been effective in helping me achieve my performance and physique goals. However, I recently learned that it may be affecting my sleep quality. I wear a whoop and my recovery level is usually in the low green, high yellow zone. So the question is whether it's worth disrupting my entire eating routine due to the potential negative impact on my recovery. I wouldn't say that's intuitive. I think it's very regimented and maybe it's just a semantics, but um, it's um, it's Ryan. Ryan seems um, very dialed in, very regimented. This is what I do every single day. Um, I don't think that's, uh, there could be, it's just semantics of whether we call that intuitive or not. I think what he means is I don't weigh and measure and I'm not that stringent on those things, but um Here's my my suggestion, and I don't think so. The question was, is it worth me? I'm just trying to get these words right. Is it worth me disrupting my entire routine for the potential upside of better sleep? Is that what he's saying? Yep. Basically, yeah. like I've got this di- to yeah. your point. This is really dialed, dialed in, yep. and if my recovery is not good, I've got to unwind yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, and here would be my suggestion. Um, that is the way a lot of people like to eat is I feel light and fresh in the morning because I don't really want to eat a lot in the morning um, and I can stay really good until I get through this training session and now oh, I'm done with that and I can kind of gorge myself and feel good about gorging myself because I just did so much activity. But as we know, if your body is in a digestive state when you go to sleep, you could be missing up to 50% of your recovery. That can be really detrimental. It's showing up in your wearable, in this case, a whoop. My suggestion is I don't think it would be crazy disruptive to try something different for a short period of time and see how it goes. My suggestion to Ryan would be do the same thing you're doing, but essentially flip it. So what you're going to do is you're going to try to get in maybe not 50%, but your biggest meal is going to be breakfast, not just a um, protein shake and green shake. No wonder you're starving by the time you get done with BJJ and then you have to put in 50% of your calories right before bed. Instead, it does fly in the face of normal um, social us because our biggest meals are dinner. It's where we sit down with the family. But my suggestion would be make breakfast, make breakfast a big thing. This is the way my wife eats. She eats a bigger um, meal in the morning. She does the um, eat like a king at breakfast, uh, a prince at dinner, and a pauper at dinner. Uh, a pop, a prince at lunch, and a pauper at dinner. So I've you're never supposed heard that before. You're, the idea is you fuel yourself up in the morning. You burn that fuel throughout the day. You're about to go to sleep. Why the heck are you throwing all this into you when your body shouldn't be digesting it? So. This is just a different school of thought, equally as powerful as intermittent fasting or anything else. It's just a different approach. It doesn't work for most people because most people like the social components of sitting down to a big meal at dinner. But for somebody that's going to be training until 8.30, this is for sure the way I would start this person off is let's try to swing it to predominant morning calories and uh, light meals later in the day. And that the, his whole question is contingent on the idea that like, oh, my recovery could be better. And he used the example of the whoop strap as being uh, the indicator of like, hey, maybe this isn't. Is there, is is that how you would also look at it? Like, because your answer is is granting the premise that his recovery isn't great based on this whoop strap thing. Is that how you would say like, cool, actually measure that as your, like as recovery? Or is there something else you would say, okay, take that as a data point, but this is actually a better indicator of whether you need to change any of this at all. It's kind of like, what do I, how, what do I believe in the efficacy of the, the whoop strap is True essentially degree. sort of, or, do you believe you, that? Yeah. As, as the, like the, the, I, the yes or no light switch. I would take that as a data point. Uh, I would not overreact to any single data point or any single day, but Whoop as a holistic macro approach, meaning like, where am I? Where have I been for the last three or four weeks? Where am I now in this three or four weeks? 
I think it's a pretty powerful tool for that. Um, Whoop has its its pluses and its minuses. One of the pluses, I believe, is its sleep analytics. I think it's pretty darn strong. I don't think its strain score is worth paying any attention to. Um, its heart rate, I think, is in the middle. I wouldn't pay a lot of attention to it. Um, but for its sleep analytics and its recovery HRV, I would that's its strong suit. That's actually the thing it does pretty darn well. And if it's telling you your sleep is not being optimized, I would not ignore that. Got it. Got it. Cool. Okay. Last question we've got in our warm up is in our connect bucket. It's from John. He says, how can I convince my mother to see a therapist? She's in her late fifties. And whenever the subject comes up, she gets defensive. She insists that she is a strong woman and has never needed help in her life. My mother has been through a lot, being a single parent, getting kicked out at 16 year olds and being an immigrant. I even explained to her that I've been to a therapist and the benefits of talking to somebody just to vent. I feel like she is stuck in the old school way of thinking where you tough things out and keep your emotions buried. She hasn't spoken to me in about a week since I brought it up. What a great son or daughter. Who is this from? Son. John. Son. Son. What, John, what? Man, that's awesome. Um, that's really, really awesome. Um, just in fact that like, if you haven't talked to your mom in a week, it feels like a long time. I, I even love that. Like there's a lot to love about this and the concern and care you have for her. And um, you obviously know about a lot about what she's gone through. I'm going to give a couple of pieces here. The first one is... I think you're gonna have a hard time convincing her to go to a therapist. And I think that what might be helpful, honestly, I don't think that your mom probably recognizes that there's a need because I don't, she has that old school mentality and she probably doesn't know she's struggling with something, honestly. And I think that you potentially just having, which it sounds like you are not afraid of and you guys have a great relationship, having some conversations where you just ask meaningful questions. And not like, why won't you go to a therapist? Not like, do you think that you'd see benefit from talking to somebody? Do you think that, but a little bit like in the right time, just try to slowly edge towards conversations where you act as the therapist. Just trying to, you know, was it a struggle for you? You obviously know a lot about her. Was it a struggle for you coming over here and not speaking the language? Was it a struggle for you, you know? What did it feel like to you know be out on your own at 16 and ask those meaningful questions? What do you think are is you know a couple of the bigger challenges that you've had to overcome in your life? And just try to open up those doors that had probably been shut and maybe even rusted shut for a long time. The next place I'll go is very tactical and maybe a little bit less um. I think that'd be. I think that is the more impactful. But another way would be to get her to read some stuff by Brene Brown. Um, Brene Brown basically is all about the power of vulnerability, and um, she's very female centric. So I think that that is a really nice introduction for somebody that is as old school stoic trying to do the right thing by being tough and this might be the thing that uh allows it, it normalizes vulnerability and that's what really we need to do is be able to normalize that and that's what a therapist's job is but um <laughs> we got to get them there first so I'm trying to remember what some she her recent book, Atlas of the Heart, is great. It's a super easy read. It's not a threatening thing because it's like coffee table style where you can just open it up and read any section of the book at any time. It's a really pretty book. It'd be a great um, you're in New Year's now, but yeah, it might be a great gift to give somebody. Um, and it's Atlas of the Heart. It's like it's just like um, it shows thing that shows that you care without this intimidating thing like you know something like the the power of vulnerability. You know, if that was the title, that would be like, what the, that might put someone on the defensive. And this certainly won't. Yeah. That's funny. I actually gave my mom that book last year for Christmas. Oh, see, look at that. Um, but even maybe before that, cause I, I, I love what you're saying. Brene Brown also has a talk on Netflix. That's really good. It's called the call to courage. So if maybe like, if maybe your mom's not a reader or she doesn't know who Brene Brown, the, the, 
60, 70 minute documentary might just be like, Hey, let's watch this tonight. And it's uh, really and good. She's phenomenal on stage. It's She's just, a, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's phenomenal. That's a really good introduction. It's a good call. And then to your first point, which I really love, I think one of the things that we, we forget that we don't like, we forget that we, we can do this and that, that it's often, uh, met with, um, a lot of uh, appreciation, which is to consider ourselves kind of the interviewer of, in this case, our parents or our grandparents, and actually sit down and say, hey, mom, hey, grandma, can I interview you for an hour? Can I ask you some questions? Because I don't know enough about your life. I don't know, like, and I'm really curious, and I'd really love to learn more about how you ended up the person you ended up, and use that as the as an entry point not an excuse, but as an entry point to, to have, to ask the kind of questions that you were alluding to, I think is really uh, powerful. And I think the last thing is, is like the, the questions for John and anybody in that position to ask those, your job is not to solve the problems. Our job is like in, when we're with our family, our best friends, it's so, it's so, it's so easy for us to want to go immediately into fix it mode, which kind of feels like where John is like, my mom needs a therapist. And so the, the easy thing would be like, okay, I'm the therapist. I will fix mom now. But that's oftentimes not our job. That's not our role. That's not what they need from us. That's certainly not what they want from us. But if you can put yourself in that sort of inquisitive interviewer mode, knowing that your job is not to, to solve any of whatever the problems John thinks his mom currently has, but instead just to like let her open up to your point, the the, the rusted gates of, of things that maybe she has not thought about or wanted to talk about. And just see if you can't build a stronger relationship with your mom through these questions, through this empathy, through these conversations, and then maybe somewhere down the road, you can say, hey, mom, have you actually, have you thought any more about that idea that I said a year ago of maybe talking to somebody, a professional? Because they might, then she might be actually really open to it when it's not, it's not an attack. It's not a, it's not trying to bust through years and years and years of, of walls that she's put up for what it sounds like very reasonable, you know, uh, you know, for, for real reasons. I think John would be like, John would be spot on because he's working with therapists and he knows the power of just to vent, you know, it's like, so I don't think he's going to go there trying to solve it, but for certainly most of the guys probably listening to this, like that's certainly uh, what most of us are trying to do. Um, and the idea is I would just try to, uh, conversation number one is just trying to get the WD-40 out of the closet. You know, you're just trying to lube the joints a little bit, right? You're just trying to like... And the conversation number one is just uh, asking about childhood. That's just, it's just that like my mom was one of eight. Like it was like, you know, mom, what was, who was, who was the troublemaker in the family? Like no, no, no things like I'm prying. No, like just fun questions. Who was the troublemaker of your siblings? You know, who was the, who was the leader? Who did, um, who did, who's your parents' favorite? You know, that type of stuff. So it's like trying to get at that. You know, what jobs did you do as a kid? Like truly inquisitive, non-threatening questions, you know, did, um, what was your best subject in school? Um, what did you do for summer, uh, summers when you were in college? Did you ever live on your own between, um, you know, school and getting married? You know, what did you guys just then maybe go a little bit more? Like, did you guys decide to have kids and were you trying or was it like, um, you just like this ended up happening, like all you just kind of layer things in a little bit more to the point where you get to the, maybe how did this make you feel type questions? One thing you can do to add to that, uh, exercise, which I think is really cool, which is it, it, well, obviously if you have access to it, but like older photographs, if you can just collect some older photographs and say, can you tell me what was going on during that time? And just use that as the spark and then follow the conversation wherever it might go is a really easy, non-threatening way to, to get into some of these conversations that we're talking about. It's like, hey, I don't know what, I don't know who that person is. Who is that, right, in, in that picture? It could be really cool. Instead of leading off with, was grandpa an alcoholic? <laughs> That's right. You know, you get there, but don't yeah. start there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Uh, thank you for those questions, everybody. Uh, if you would like to get a question into a future episode, we would obviously love it. Best way to do that is to go to www.chasingexcellence.email. That link is also in the show notes. Every Friday, we send out a note about the current episode with a link to uh, a way to ask, ask your questions. Again, uh, www.chasingexcellence.email. We thank you in advance. All right, we're going to jump into our workout in a moment, but first, quick word of thanks to a few sponsors. We are brought to you this week by Element. 
Are you looking for a way to stay hydrated without all the sugar and questionable ingredients found in popular electrolyte drinks? Of course you are if you're listening to the show. Then look no further than Element, the zero sugar electrolyte drink mix, taking the health and fitness world by storm. Go to drinkelement.com slash excellence to learn more and to check out their new flavors, perfect for the cold winter months. They just dropped their chocolate medley, chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry, all designed to be enjoyed hot. With Element, you can replenish your electrolytes and support optimal health without compromising on taste or quality. Made with meaningful dose of electrolytes and free of sugar, artificial colors, and dodgy ingredients, Elements is perfect for athletes, uh, those following keto or low-carb diets, or anyone on a mission to restore health through hydration. But don't just take our word for it. Element is the exclusive hydration partner to Team USA Weightlifting and many Olympic athletes. It's trusted by professional athletes in the NFL, NBA, NHL, as well as six-time CrossFit Games winner Tia Claire Toomey and three-time NBA All-Star Bradley Beal. Element is backed by science and formulated based on research that reveals optimal health outcomes occur at sodium levels two to three times higher than government recommendations. So you can trust that you're getting a product that's designed to deliver real results. Here's the best part. As a listener of the show, you can get a free Element sample pack with any order. Just visit drinkelement.com slash excellence to claim your free sample pack today. Stay hydrated, support your health, and enjoy the benefits of Element. Don't settle for ordinary electrolyte drinks when you can have something extraordinary. Drinkelement.com slash excellence. We are also brought to you today with support from OneSkin. If you're listening to this show, it's likely you're setting big goals for the coming year, but sometimes the simplest changes are the most impactful. Take OneSkin's two-step approach to healthier skin. Go to oneskin.co to learn more and get an exclusive 15% off your purchase with the code EXCELLENCE. OneSkin's products are powered by a scientifically proven peptide called OS1 that targets lines and wrinkles right where they start your cells. This isn't just another skincare routine. It's a real science breakthrough. In fact, OS1 is the first of its kind to actually turn back the clock instead of just masking the signs of aging. With their full line of face, eye, body, sun, and travel size products, OneSkin doesn't only promise healthier skin, they prove it. It's super easy to do. Just cleanse, dry, and apply twice daily. Whether you're using OneSkin's topical face, eye, body, or new shield, or all of them, improving your skin health will easily fit into your current daily routines. As such, OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off with the code excellence at oneskin.co. After your purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support the show and tell them that we sent you. New Year, healthier skin. That is OneSkin. We are going to dive into a conversation today about the CrossFit affiliate space. <laughs> um, CrossFit recently, within the last, gosh, month, month and a half, upped their affiliate uh, fee, I guess is what they call it, for the first time in I think like something absurd, like 10, 10 years or something. And so I thought that would be a good excuse or a good excuse for you and I to have a conversation about the thoughts on where the current state of the CrossFit affiliate market is in your eyes. Um, and we can go down a couple different uh, different paths, but I would love maybe just start with just a high level sense of in 2024, What's your overall opinion assessment of where the CrossFit space is? Yeah. Um, to start off, maybe some specificity in terms of what you're talking about in terms of the price thing, because like, why are we even talking about this? Like, um, it's it was it's an incredibly um, substantial price increase, and that's why it's it's a conversation in the space. Um, you mentioned that it's the first time in a long time. It's the first time ever. Mm. So they've never. That's right. They used to. Say, they used to like there used to be points where like if you start, oh, got it. Okay. It's, so they've grandfathered everybody grandfathered in. So it. I've been yeah. an affiliate since 2007. So I'm in my whatever that is, 17 years. My price has never gone up. So they've increased rates for new people as they come in. But once you were set, you were set. Um. So my price is going from $500 a year to $4,500 a year. So a 9X or whatever that is, a um, increase, which is, that's why people are like, whoa. Okay. Here's some other things about that. Cause I think laying out some specifics kind of, we'll talk about the, 
the generalities after that, but laying the, the other side. They're not doing that for everybody. In fact, there's a lot of affiliates that their prices are going down. What they've done is they're doing this um, based off the strength of your currency. So if you are in, if you were in Brazil before, you paid most gyms now, I think, are paying $3,000 um, a year. And if you joined, you paid $3,000 a year. Now it's reflected in terms of the strength of the currency. So a lot of these other gyms outside the United States are going down. I think Europe is going down a tiny bit, or maybe saying about the flat. And the US and Canada are going up massively, and the rest of the world is coming down. So that helps to like lay the groundwork for what's happening. Um, and I think that in terms of we get to the actual affiliate side of this, but staying on the 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 HQ side of this and the business side of this as a whole, the promise is that they're doing this to deliver a better product. Um, they're also mandating that during the next calendar year, everybody that is an affiliate owner must obtain their level two um, training certificate. So that means that everyone is becoming a better coach and trainer. That's the new minimum instead of a level one. The promise there is that they will be able to do with those increased revenue streams that they'll be able to deliver their end of the partnership to the affiliates in the form of better marketing, essentially helping drive the customers to the affiliates. Okay. So bridging the gap between maybe still staying with the HQ thing. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal business move on their part. Um, during COVID, there was basically, um, I, I wouldn't call it a hostile takeover, but I wouldn't not call it that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not the not the not it's the not the right phrase. word, but it was yeah. basically Greg Glassman was essentially as close to forced to sell as possible, um, and it was bought by a group um, that Eric Rosa put together with um, a Boston-based uh, equity firm that backing him. Well, most of these firms look for returns in that kind of uh, three to five year range. We're outside of that three years now. And it's kind of like, we, there's no, I, I can't imagine that there's more revenue coming in today than there was then. So I think it's basically um, with the new leadership in place, um, you know, Eric's out and um, new CEO in place, they're making moves. And I, you can't fault them for making moves. Like this is from a business perspective, they're making the company way more financially viable because even if, and they will, they lose a quarter to a third of their affiliates and they will, all the ones that are doing this in their garage for fun that were paying 500 bucks when they becomes time due to almost do like $5,000 a year, very few of those are going to re-up. On top of that, the people that then need to also get their level two, it's not just that you're increasing my rate $4,000. I need to go get my level two, which is $1,000 as well. It's a $5,000, uh, $5,500 increase, you know, times 11. So all those little small ones, they will go away and maybe they lose 10, 15, 25%, maybe 30% of the gyms go away. It's still such a net negative gain. Plus, it gives the opportunity for massive growth outside the United States where these gyms were prohibited from being a CrossFit gym because these they earn $5,000 a year. And now that their the affiliate fee is going to be a fraction of what it was, now then maybe all these rogue gyms that were doing CrossFit kind of secretly actually go, hey, this is worth being a part of this thing now. And the growth outside the United States really has been um, on an upward trajectory for a long time. Um, where in the United States, there's been, uh, a, a shrinkage it's, it's, it's come, come down. The last thing I'll say about terms of the business model and what they're doing, um, in terms of them making moves, they're doing really smart stuff. So, um, they changed, they are no longer running semifinals. They are again, outsourcing that if there was, and I'm trying to remember how many there were for semifinals, call it five or six. I mean, that's probably wrong. But each one of those semifinals costs over half a million dollars to run. Some of the bigger ones call it a million dollars. Let's keep it at the low end. If it's a million dollars and there's five of them, 
I'm sorry, if it's a half million dollars and there's five of them, they just took two and a half million dollars off the expense side. There's not a whole bunch of revenue coming in. I've been to them, the vendors, there's not there's not this booming ecosystem where it's like the games, um, there's no TV deals, there's very little registration fees coming in. They're a drain. They're a they were a cost to the to the affiliate, uh, to the to HQ. What did make money were the online qualifiers to get there. The open, huge money maker. Three weeks, four hundred thousand people paying twenty bucks, millions and millions are coming in. What they've done is they've then moved quarterfinals from ten percent coming in to twenty five percent. When you go to quarterfinals, the registration fee also increases. So they've increased fifteen percent of the registration participants, and the rate, the number is so much higher. They're pulling in. Hundreds of thousands of dollars more, probably millions, um, a million or two more out of that. So what just happened to the PL in terms of removing millions, literally millions of dollars off of the loss column and bringing in potentially millions on the plus column, phenomenal business moves. Like these are, these are great. If I'm on that team, I am high-fiving. These are great business moves. Also, you get... 25% of the people that now think that they are competitive athletes making it to quarterfinals, whereas before it was only 10%. It's just like, there's going to be, this is a, a really big positive. Um, there are the negatives, of course, that go along with these things. Like people don't like change. Certainly they don't like change when it hits their pocketbook. Um, me personally, I would rather not pay 4,000 extra dollars a year. Um, but I think it's the right move. I want, I really want higher quality controls on affiliates. And the level two is a step in that right direction. I also really want something back for what I'm paying. 500 bucks, I, I really don't need, want, or expect anything for that. I don't want anything other than be able to put my name CrossFit on the outside of my gym. That's it. I, that's a reasonable transaction. For $4,500, I, I need a return. I need to, to find value in something besides the name unless you do so much to elevate the name past where it is right now. Meaning you don't do it for me specifically, but you elevate the brand holistically. I'm good on that one too. But what I'm not okay with is 500 to 4,500 and we stay in the same relationship that we've been in. That's not going to be okay. But I want this. I, I want HQ to win. I want them to be thriving. I want to be so proud to be an affiliate. Um, there's I have no hesitation paying that going forward. Um, and I hope that it does mean, get back to your question, what does this mean for the brand as a whole? I have no problem paying that if this means that the whole brand is being elevated. And that's gotta be what's happening. If this is just the money grab to satisfy the, the equity investors, and now we have a bigger bottom line, see what we did. Now you guys can sell to a bigger partner and get your returns out of this thing. Um, if that's the case, I'm pissed because I'm getting nothing more out of that. Got it. Okay. So lots of, lots of roads we can travel down. I think my first question or the, 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 maybe the, the biggest question I've got keeping in mind, of course, that most people listening aren't gym owners, which is, you know, you said, I want a thriving affiliate community. I want CrossFit to win. What, what, what's in that for the rest of us? Like it makes sense for you. It makes sense for you, especially now that you're, you're on the hook for 4,500 bucks a year to want to see CrossFit HQ win. But if we broaden out the perspective a little bit, why does it matter? And this is really why I wanted to have this conversation is like, why does it matter to the gr greater population of people who consider themselves CrossFitters, whether they own a gym, they're a member of a gym, they do it in their garage, they do it at Gold's Gym. Why does a thriving CrossFit company, why does that make it better for us? If quote CrossFit quote wins, um, it certainly helps affiliates because the high level, when someone says in conversation, um, he owns a CrossFit gym at a, whatever, a social gathering, you want that to mean something. And if CrossFit is winning in the eyes of the greater public, 
that's a really good thing for any affiliate owner. If it's a good thing for an affiliate owner, it's a good thing for the end user at an affiliate. Because what that means is the products, the brand, everything is getting better. I love this idea behind um, Disney's an amazing company. And the way that they talk about profits is because, you know, especially in our space, we hear like profits and money is bad. We're, we've grown up in this libertarian ideal and it's about, you know, um, chase uh, chase results and chase not, not membership, not dues. Um, you know, we're in the relationship building business. We're not in the, you know, um, the fitness or trying to make money, but I really like the way that Disney, their perspective on earning money, which is if we have more profit, that gives us the opportunity to make more magic. If, if there was no profit from Disney World from day one, we would still be at, what is the actual place called? The, I mean, they have Epcot, Animal Kingdom. What's, you, I, you get it. Like the actual Magic Kingdom. That's what it is. It would just be the Magic Kingdom. It would just be the, the 25 rides that they had. And everyone would still be talking about the teacups that spin around. Everyone still talking about um, where the roller coaster was, Space Mountain and Thunder Canyon or whatever it was. Like those were like, that was it. That was what the Magic Kingdom was. And because they made so much money, that was, which is a great thing for a business, if they reinvested back in, which they did, they created Epcot. And now they have this whole science fiction. Then they created whatever it was, Universal, and they created Animal Kingdom, and they created the water park, and they created, and they were, had this opportunity to make more magic. They could not only build out more, but the product itself, the actual thing that they did in the beginning got better and better. They created Disney University, where if you want to work at Disney, you have to come and go to college here first to learn about the business before you're allowed to be a character, before you're allowed to sell ice cream. That is such a, if CrossFit can get to that spot where it's such a thriving business, you could imagine that instead of having your level two to be an affiliate owner, you have to go to CrossFit college and you have to not only get your level one, level two, but you have to get your level three and four. And then after that, you have to train at an affiliate for six months. It's like, holy crap, this is the opportunity to make more magic. Then the end user benefits from that. But again, it's on this big caveat that they're reinvesting back in the business, not looking for shareholder value, which is just this crock that means that the people that invest in the company get to line their pocketbooks. That's not what that is. Now, you also mentioned one other group, which is the people that are doing this tangent. They're doing this in the garage. They're doing this in the basement. They're doing this global gym or their school gyms. Um, I don't necessarily see how it benefits those people very much because those people are just a part of the methodology. They're not actually a part of the ecosystem. The ecosystem, in my view, is the affiliates. The affiliates are the lifeboats working with people that not only want to become lifeguards themselves, but want to be not only want to become the fittest swimmers in the world, but are trying to save lives. You know, I like that analogy a lot of what an affiliate is, and that's Greg Glassman's stuff. Is like we are the lifeboats trying to save humanity from this thing called chronic disease. I think it really benefits them. I don't think it touches necessarily the, the the home gym user other than the brand association thing. Like I feel cooler about this because it's a cooler thing. And I don't want to say that doesn't matter because that's all branding is, is how do you feel about this company? It's an interesting distinction you just made between the methodology and let's just call it the economy for lack of a better way to put it, right? With the, the affiliate economy versus the methodology. Um, because I think you can make the argument that CrossFit's done one thing really, really well consistently, which is like they've introduced this methodology into the, into the, uh, the, the water supply. And now kind of everybody's doing it. Maybe everybody's doing it to a degree differently than, uh, you know, than what you're doing there at CrossFit New England, for example. 
Um, is it important, these changes, is it important for CrossFit to continue to grow so that the methodology continues to grow and insert itself in all of these places? Or is are we kind of like, we peak, uh, you know, f- functional fitness at relative intensity, and that's not the point anymore. And maybe that was the point for the first 10 to 15 to 20 years. It was just like making the argument that this was better. Okay, so maybe we've done that now. And now it's time to take three steps backwards and say, okay, but the primary deliverers of this methodology are struggling. And now we've got to pay attention to them. Is the, is the latter the case now? And the former, in terms of like the methodology, the way, the waving the flag that we did for so many years, is that less important now? Yeah, I think that you're, um, the less is the key point there, uh, but it's not because it's not binary. It's not like it's been shut off. It's not like, um, okay, now we've exited that room and we're now we're, 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 we're living in this other room. And just for what that room was for the people who weren't around for a long time, when Patrick and I first found this thing, um, n- this was no one trained like this. No, there was CrossFit has literally, and I don't use these words lightly at all, literally revolutionized the fitness space, completely turned it upside down. There were next to, you have to search really hard to find a gym that had open floors, rogue rigs, and bumper plates, kettlebells, and nobody knew what a burpee was. People don't recognize that now because like they do them in gym class and everyone goes, okay, burpees. Everyone goes, oh, like if you said that in 1995, you said, okay, now everyone do burpees. No one would have any idea what the heck you were talking about. No one knew what a kettlebell was. It wasn't that kettlebells came into vogue. CrossFit did that. No one did Olympic lifting. It wasn't that like, okay, CrossFit did that. Very, very, very few people rode. CrossFit did that. There was no rubber flooring anywhere. There was the sea of machines in one part of the gym and then the the, the cardio equipment in the other part. It was like, and then maybe you had the place where there was like the dumbbells and the bench presses, but that was the way gyms looked. And that's the way people did it. And they did everything in these different splits from bodybuilding to cardio. It's is fully, fully, fully revolutionized the fitness space. Now, I don't think it's done. I don't think it's like the war has, is over. And now, and that's your point. It's just less. Because when we took our level one back in 2005, 2006, it was very like aggressive. It was very adversarial. It was like, just what you said, this is our way and their way is wrong. That's not the message coming from HQ anymore because it doesn't need to be. It's just, this is the way that we believe to that training should look like. And I think we still need to do that because... Um, while it's more accepted, more it's more widespread, it hasn't infiltrated ev- all of the corners of the map. And there's still work to be done there that HQ can help do. But you do see it. You go to, you know, if you see professional athletes or division one athletes, um, you, you'll see them doing handstand pushups now. It's like, that's crazy. No, no one would be doing that before. And you'll see them doing like little, Metcon cardio pieces where they'll do box jumps, kettlebell swings, and running. That didn't exist before. So um, we're not done with that journey, but it's not as it's it's not mission critical number one right now. Uh, before we were, we were recording, you and we were chatting a little bit about a recent trip you went out to um, Germany for something called Coaches uh, Coaches Congress. Right? Am I getting that right? Okay. And your comment, and it, it strikes me as at least relevant to this conversation a little bit, which is like you, you said, like, oh, it's kind of like 2013 there. In terms of, I think what you were saying, but, but, you know, give me, give us the color for this. In terms of like the camaraderie and the excitement and the enthusiasm and the, oh, hey, Ben's going to be at this place on Sunday. Like, let's make a, a road trip of it and go hang out and be at the, and that's very much what it was like in the, what we can maybe call the heyday, at least so far of cross of CrossFit here in the U S which is, you know, in that range of 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, where like, you know, we could, we could run down the names of people who were, who were going around the country, sometimes the world, right. The Jeff Tuckers, the Brian McKenzie's, the, um, the Rob Wolf's like all these people 
doing seminars and doing events and we'd see each other and all these, and you were, you guys were doing competitions at CFN and obviously some of this is still happening. But my point is, it feels like one of the things that completely is, has faded away was this excitement about things happening within our community. And what shifted was the things that happened in our community only began to revolve around the CrossFit Games. And almost all, and the CrossFit Games kind of stole all the oxygen from the things that really got us excited in 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, which had maybe tangentially had something to do with the CrossFit Games, but certainly wasn't why I went to go see a, a Rob, Rob Wolf when he was at CrossFit Boston. I could care less about the CrossFit Games at that point. It was because like, oh, Rob Wolf is here. <laughs> like, of course, I'm going to go spend six hours sitting in a room listening to him talk. And that feels like it's missing. And that feels like it's part of the weakness of the last five to six years is everybody's got to their own little pockets and every gym is an island and short of maybe the CrossFit Games or a couple other opportunities, like everybody's just out for themselves. The parallel to where Europe is versus where we are in terms of Europe really feels like where we were in about 2013. It's still new there. So they're kind of, there's this level of first mover advantage, right? Where like people like, and, and when you're that, when you're not the majority and people don't know and people don't understand, you have to go and find like-minded people that do know and do understand. That pulls people together. Well, we don't have that as much now because there's six CrossFit gyms within six miles of your house. And there's another six gyms that pretend to be CrossFit gyms of some form or fashion right? Whether it's now powerlifting or Olympic lifting or just these functional gyms, these Barry's boot camps and orange theories and um, F45s and all the rest. This has become more of the norm, which is a good thing. More people should be doing this in terms of what we're trying to do, which is move humanity forward. That's all a good thing. As long as we're we're all getting this of the same sort, right? It's all still, we're, we're moving, we're... Um, it's it's the same baseline training methodology. It all has this little differences for sure. Now, if you know that they actually end up being big differences, but that's a it's a good thing in terms of um, what we're doing to fight chronic disease, what we're doing to improve um, athletic performance uh, across our world as a whole. But in terms of the tribal affiliation that comes along with that, it's it's more watered down. You know, because what is the difference between your CrossFit gym and Barry's boot camp and F45? Well, if you know it, you know it and they're big ones. But for most people, they don't know. So it's like, ah, you go do that thing. It's that thing. And there's so many people that do that thing now because there's six of them around within six miles of your house. It's not this when we did it, um, if you the only way you found out about CrossFit New England for the first year and a half was if someone from our gym told you about it. And it took a lot of convincing to go and meet the, these people that were doing these crazy workouts that no one ever heard of before in the basement of some rec hall. Like that's a weird thing to do. Now it's not. Now it's you're, you're going to either go to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or you're going to do CrossFit. You know, it's like it's just... It's more of accepted. In terms of the games versus the methodology, this is it is one of the challenges that HQ has come across. And it's one of the it was in it was in your your comments. Um, you know, I think that the the heyday of CrossFit uh, for sure, at least domestically, was um, 2013 through 2015 16. Um, that's where the sport was really maturing. They were figuring out how to test this thing and what the right appropriate, gone were the weird things like uh, GHD med ball throws, right? Which they had to experiment with, but okay, that went away, right? And it became this like really kind of, I don't want to say known test, but the validity of the test where you could go like, yes, the person that wins that thing is the fittest in the world. That argument started to started to really solidify. So it was that thing was really coming into its own. And we were in Los Angeles at the Stub Hub Center in the tennis stadium and where the Los Angeles um is it Galaxy? Wherever their professional soccer team plays. I think that's right. Yeah. 
right when we were ahead, I was like, you're saying Guardians of the Galaxy. It's definitely not that. <laughs> so, um, so that was really, really awesome. I think the move to Madison hurt the brand, honestly. Um, it just, it's, it's not as epic. It's just not as epic. So while you say you weren't here for the sport of CrossFit, the sport, sport of CrossFit, the excitement and the growth of it made you feel like you were a part of something mm. exciting and growing. That's important. And yeah, it's a good yeah, for sure. Like you could be a BMX biker and you might love BMX biking even more than you did when in, you were doing it in the 80s. But dude, the 80s was the heyday of BMX biking. And like if the whole thing starts to shrink or maybe better analogy is like rollerblading, right? Like if you rollerbladed in the early 90s, like yeah, it was a cool thing to be a part of. Well, then if you're a rollerblader now, like, like <laughs> I'm not, not knocking rollerblading. Apologies to all the rollerbladers yeah. out there. <laughs> but it's just not, you're not a part of this cool, exciting, yeah. growing thing. Yep. And that's, yep. that matters. Like being a part of this cool, exciting, growing thing is, it's always a part of, momentum is cool. It's, you want to be on the team that is on a winning streak, not on a team that's lost five in a row. It's just it's the dynamics of being a human being. That thing matters. And that's one of the big reasons because you were like, look, w- look at where this thing's going. Of course, I'm going to go see Kelly Starrett. Look where this thing's going. Of course, I want to go and learn from Rob Wolf. Look where this thing's going. Of course, I want to hear from uh, more about gymnastics and all the rest. Like, Who knows where this thing ends? Well, once it starts to constrict and get smaller, you're like, ah, why would I go spend more money, more time, more energy learning from someone else that's really diving deep into this thing that is it really the thing you know it's just a, it it rots away at your internal belief system yeah interesting okay so uh, wrapping up final question looking ahead you know looking obviously at the changes that have just happened within crossfit as a business looking ahead for yourself crossfit new england there are you hopeful uh, at the trajectory of crossfit broadly or is it still, are we still in a, uh, well, this is a big question mark. Certainly, ho- certainly, I know you hope that it goes well. You already said that. But are you hopeful that these moves are writing the ship in a way that will eventually, maybe not right away, but eventually make CrossFit New England better and every other gym out there? You know this about where I am. And people have listened to this conversation long enough, probably know my answer ahead of time to this. But I like change. Like I want to, I think the worst thing HQ could have done is just sat on their hands, which is basically what happened from, I should say, sat on their hands or made too impulsive or not big enough drastic changes. This is a big drastic change. Now, I'm not saying change for change's sake. I don't think that they should have changed up the way semifinals were going because we need some level of stability. But these changes, if they create which I do believe, and I am hopeful to answer your question, will help the brand and the HQ and the entire ecosystem as a whole. I am bullish on these changes because, and not necessarily these changes specifically, I am bullish on the new leadership because they are willing to make bold, drastic changes and not just sit on their hands worrying about this legacy thing, which has been forever of like, no, we can't change the affiliate fee. Nope. We can't do that because that doesn't, that, that, you know, that flies in the face of what this thing was built upon. Well, what this thing has been built upon isn't what it is anyway. So the world is always changing, always evolving. If we don't make these changes, we're going to end up in a bad spot in the long run. So yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic. Let's put it that way. Uh, but I am more bullish than I am not because, I mean, we've all seen it domestically what's happened to the space. It, it's it shrunk. You know, it's gone from, you know, worldwide. I don't know what the numbers are, but it was at fifteen thousand, going by HQ numbers, and I, I, they were saying that we had fifteen thousand gyms, and now I think they say that we have about thirteen thousand. So with big growth internationally. So domestically, that you you know, it doesn't take a, a rhythmic genius to figure out that. It's 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 more than two thousand we've lost internally. Yeah, all right, got it. We'll leave it there, um, and uh, hopefully something that we can pick back up at some point when we've got a little bit more data, a little bit more information, uh, to, and to check in with you to see how it's actually feeling on the ground in the affiliate. Uh, so thank you for that. 
We are going to jump into a, a listener audio segment in just a moment that I'm excited about. First, quick word of thanks from a few more sponsors brought to you this week by Cozy Earth. Are you looking for the perfect bedding to enhance your sleep quality? Well, I've got an exclusive offer just for you. Cozy Earth, a brand known for, for its luxurious and temperature-regulating bedding, is offering up to 40% off site-wide when you use the code EXCELLENCE. Head to CozyEarth.com to get your hands on their premium bedding collection. Cozy Earth's bamboo sheet set, which has been named one of Oprah's favorite things, are not only soft and luxurious, but are temperature-regulating, ensuring you stay comfortable and feel extra fancy at the same time. But Cozy Earth doesn't stop at just sheets. They have a complete bedding collection from pillows to blankets, all designed to elevate your sleep experience. And the best part, you can sleep with confidence thanks to Cozy Earth's generous warranty. Cozy Earth's bedding is responsibly sourced and made from bamboo viscous, ensuring a luxurious and guilt-free sleep experience. And with their commitment to quality, you can trust that you're getting the best night's rest possible. So why settle for less? Visit CozyEarth.com today and discover the softest, most luxurious sheets available. And remember, as a special offer to you, you can get up to 40% off site-wide when you use the code EXCELLENCE. Don't miss out on this exclusive opportunity to experience unparalleled don't miss out on this exclusive opportunity to experience unparalleled comfort. Visit CozyEarth.com and transform your sleep experience with the softest and most luxurious bedding. We are also brought to you this week with support from Notion. You've heard me talk about Notion on the show before, and if you head to Notion.com excellence, you can learn more about what Notion is, why it's the best thing since Wi-Fi, and support the show all at the same time. What is Notion? It's the all-in-one workspace that can revolutionize the way you manage your digital life, your work, your habit tracking, how you run your household, everything. You know how you've got your entire digital life spread out over countless files in your documents folder, Google Drive links, Dropbox, and a thumb drive you haven't been able to find since 2010? Well, Notion solves for that by giving you the single spot for all of it. Notion combines your notes, docs, and projects all together in one beautiful space. I've been a heavy Notion user for many years, and I run everything through it. Three podcasts, content for multiple brands, my own company, my task lists, and long-term goals. If it exists in my work life, it exists in Notion. And now it's even easier to navigate thanks to Notion's new feature, Q&A. This AI assistant can answer your questions about your workspaces, saving you or your team time from searching across multiple pages. Between Notion for organization and structure, Notion AI for writing and brainstorming, and Notion Q&A for quick and easy search across my entire digital life. I am fully covered. If you want to say the same things, visit notion.com slash excellence today and experience the power of this easy to use tool. By using our link, you'll not only be setting yourself up for a more organized digital life, but you'll also be supporting the show. And we thank you in advance, notion.com slash excellence to start on your Notion AI journey. All right, Ben, we've got something. We did this, gosh, we did this a while ago and we actually got some really good feedback. We, we had a listener send us an audio note. Her name was Regina. Um, uh, and we had good feedback and then I just sort of forgot about it. And then Nick reached out and I'm sorry, Nick, I've, I don't have your last name in front of me, but Nick reached out and he sent me a note. And for whatever reason, I was like, can you record something about this and send it to me? And I don't remember why I thought that, but I was glad I did because a few months later, Nick emailed me, uh, what we're about to listen to. And this is something, so a uh, little bit of context. I don't know too much about Nick. But what he was reaching out to talk to me about or talk to us about in this case was figuring out how to have and build and nurture stronger relationships, something that you and I, Ben, talk about all the time here on the show. And so uh, we're going to dive into what Nick said. That's going to be kind of how we wrap up this episode. I would love to get more of this into future episodes. And so the best way to do it is going to be to get on the email list, www.chasingexcellence.email. Uh, I will figure out how to do this in a way that's easy and simple, but I'll send out a link to to ask folks if they want to send us some some audio clips. Tell us how you're chasing excellence, especially tell us how you're chasing excellence across these uh, components of health that we often talk about here, uh, how we move, think, uh, eat, connect, and recover. I would love to hear more about how everybody out there is themselves pursuing uh, excellence as we've talked about it here on the show. And so I look forward to that. Again, www.chasingexcellence.email. Get on the newsletter list. I'll figure out the easiest way to get folks to send us these things. And if we start getting them, we'll start figuring out where we can include them into future episodes. Cool. Let's hear it. I'm, All right. I'm excited to hear what Nick has to say. So, the Regina, <laughs> so I, Regina, I think about the Regina one a lot. So it's, it's really cool that we've gotten a, a second one. Uh, let's get into what Nick says. Hi, my name's Nick, and uh, I've realized there's a problem in my life that um, I wanted to seek out a solution for, and I'm just wondering if anybody out 
else out there has um, maybe a similar problem. Um, it, the problem that I saw it is, is when I got together with friends, it it always felt like we picked up where we left off. Uh, but I said it a ton of times, and I have a group of college friends, and we've been in, we've been friends for twenty years, and we always we would always pick up where we left off in the past. And you know, I also know there are other guys I know that. that have okay friendships maybe and then they go to the gym together or soccer dads together or something like that but but it seems like those relationships are just pretty surfacey and and honestly I know guys too that just really don't have someone that they would call close friends and it's not that they're bad or weird it's just uh, maybe they haven't found the right the right tribe yet so I just kind of saw that as a problem and that also really if I just look around at, at those people and, and the guys that I know I feel like the average the average man doesn't feel like he's thriving or or maybe that he's living on a mission or that he his life has any adventure or that you know maybe he's just he just feels bored you know and, and so i i feel like it, it's a shame really that that men's friendships are, are at best average or, or just on the surface and we don't intentionally develop relationships we have or we don't engage or seek out meaningful friendships altogether and you know statistics are are pretty clear that you know those men and women who who have thriving relationships or tend to live longer more fulfilled lives also uh, men have a higher rate of suicide than women statistically across the board divorce is way too normal over 50 percent of marriages end in divorce my, my theory is that if, if men have better closer friendships um, they could connect better w- w- with other men and, and know each other on a, on a deeper level that, that possibly maybe that that could be a piece of the puzzle to improve all those all those statistics. So those are those are the problems that I'm seeing and the solutions that, um, that, that I'm coming up with is just uh, structure. Men need structure. Guys, guys nights, you know, if anybody does or has been part of traditional guys nights, those are fun, but they're not very fruitful and they're not effective for cultivating deeper relationships and guys are also kind of generally good at just following a playbook we, we can uh, we just need the playbook to follow and um, the solution that I'm testing out and trying is a playbook of how to uh, deepen friendships and, and that playbook consists of shared values that that the friends can agree upon things that are important to each other and in, in those lives playbook consists of uh, commitment to the group it, it consists of our, our wives if we have wives the, the wives blessing and then um, that playbook has specific questions that we, we talk about we ask each other there's there's homework involved um, there's scheduled monthly meetings each month we get together and we have a scheduled meeting and it's it's kind of part fraternity and part church small group and part friends group so during the meetings there's a set discussion topic kind of based around the values that we share and, and everybody's required to participate and ask questions and answer questions. And some months we have homework we, we to accomplish before the next meeting or other months we more casual and social in nature. Um, you know, we'll get together for a football game or play golf or we have a Christmas party with, with wives and kids and things like that. But, but we'll always set aside time to connect on a deeper level rather than just talking about sports and the newest bourbon that, that somebody bought. So what we've learned through this, and we've been doing this for about a year and a half, we've learned right away that, that and we knew this going into it, the guys aren't good at sitting around talking about thoughts and feelings. We're just not wired to just sit there and talk about that. And that's okay, you know, and that's that's fine. Um, it, and also, at the same time, if we know that, that a deeper level of friendship is what we're after, then we've got to get a little more comfortable talking on a deeper level and, and structuring those questions is the important part to that. Uh, we've also learned that, that, that the buy-in and commitment is is critical. You know, all the guys in the group needed to have the same sentiment that, that if our friendships weren't really growing, that really essentially they were slowly dying, um, you know, and that's the buy-in. Like if, if we're not intentional about building relationships, whether it's friendships or, or others, it's the relationships are, are, are dying slowly. So um, so then we just committed to the the meetings uh, every month. We've learned that having that agenda and and a set of discussion questions is really key to to actually creating valuable conversation. You know, honestly, we've learned that it works. Um, I can honestly say our relationship over the past year and a half, the friendships are have grown deeper. I think our marriages are improving as well, and and it's just it is really refreshing to know that what we're doing is um, is impactful in our lives. So. If I can re- recommend anything to anybody listening out there, it's just, man, realize 
or come to terms that, that there's a good chance your friendships are surface level and that there's more to be had. If the relationship isn't growing, it's dying. I think that was that that was important uh, for us to learn. I would recommend just taking a look at your own relationships and then take inventory and you know ask got to ask yourself who who do you want to grow with who who are the relationships that you desire to grow with and are there two or three or four or five people that you would say yeah I want these relationships to continue on and then uh, you got to get your wife on board if you have one. Um, you know, there's chances are if she has friends she's really close with or she wants to deepen relationships with too. And the two of you will need to be aligned in the priorities that, that you have of encouraging each other's friendships. So um, having your wife on board with um, you seeking out and, and developing your relationships is, is critical too. And then, you know, I'd recommend just talking to one of your friends maybe about the idea of having a structured group, a, a monthly meeting of, of your friends and you know, um, talk to a guy or choose a guy who's organized and kind of forward thinking and just, just throw the idea around, you know, is it something that you could do? Could you commit to a monthly meeting where there's structure to it and it feels awkward because uh, it's not natural and not normal for guys? But uh, but I think it's kind of that uncomfortable scenario that we need to push into that, that will actually um, improve our relationships and and again, the the goal isn't necessarily just to improve the relationships, but the quality of our lives. I feel like we're going to live more purposefully uh, on a mission. I feel like there will just be more adventure and, and more um, intentionality with with the way that we structure our our months and our years. If if we have and seek out better friendships, I'd say uh, yeah. If anybody feels that 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 kind of resonates with them and they want to have a positive impact on their friendships, um, that's where I'd start. And if you know. You know if you're curious about it and want to talk more, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. But it's been really, really valuable in our lives for the last year and a half, and I'm, I've got no plans on stopping. All right. Thank you, Nick. Hope you enjoyed that. Again, www.chasingexcellence.email. Link is in the show notes. Get on that list. I'll figure out the best way to get more of these into future episodes. We thank you in advance for that. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. As always, Ben and I will be back next week for a new episode of Chasing Excellence.